Good evening, everyone. I, Anshali Patil, Associate Partner with Third Sector Partners, welcome you to the sixth episode of Leadership Conversations in the Development Sector. The social impact sector is full of passionate leaders with innovative outlooks on the world's greatest problems. Our Leadership Conversations focus on the unique insights offered by these leaders as they share their experiences and move the development sector forward. Our host, Go Barefoot, is an interactive web portal dedicated to the social sector. It brings together individuals, NGOs, NPOs, and the CSR arms of organizations with the mandate of creating a one-stop information website for both networking and knowledge sharing. We are supported by Catalyst, an NGO which has been preparing young women for leadership roles to create equality in opportunities and bridge the gender gap. Also, Go Barefoot is supported by Third Sector Partners, India's only executive search firm exclusively for the development sector. Our guest today is one of the leading lights in the development sector. I would like to extend a warm welcome to the Pali Khanna, Managing Director, Asia Regional Office, the Rockefeller Foundation. Dipali Khanna manages the foundation's policy, advocacy, grant making, and partnerships in Asia. She leads the Rockefeller Foundation's initiatives to convene and catalyze strategic collaborations that advance development in Asia, as well as harness Asia's role in enhancing the well being of humanity in the region and around the world. Ms. Kanna joined the Rockefeller Foundation in 2015. She most recently served as director and managed one of the foundation's flagship initiatives in India, Smart Power for Rural Development. Prior to joining the Rockefeller Foundation, Ms. Kanna served as director of youth learning with the MasterCard Foundation. She was responsible for the global grant making strategy across more than 50 projects within the portfolio, managing a budget of USD 800 million. She has held multiple leadership positions with Plan International, including Country Director of Vietnam and Regional Director for East and Southern Africa, where she led overall strategic planning within the region and managed operations in 12 countries. Ms. Khanna earned her bachelor's degree in sociology from Delhi University and holds a certificate from the Humanitarian Leadership Program at Harvard Business School. In conversation with Dipali is Sheetal Kakkar Mehra, leadership expert and executive presence coach for the CEOs. Sheetal has coached several hundred CXOs in the past decades and has conducted workshops for diverse organizations across Asia. She has been invited as a speaker by leading B-schools and professional associations. She is a best-selling author and her latest best-selling book on executive presence is India's first research-based formula on executive presence. Sheetal is an active philanthropist and social entrepreneur. I give the stage over to you, Sheetal and Dipali. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Anjali. Welcome, Dipali. We look forward to hearing your views on the leadership in the development sector and are very excited to hear your insights. So I'm going to start by asking you my first question. 
which is that the development sector has significantly changed and evolved in the past couple of decades. How has leadership evolved to rise up to this challenge? Thanks, Sheetal. And to begin with, I'd really like to thank you for inviting me to this session. I find myself very privileged and blessed to have the opportunity to have been in the sector for over three decades and really see the ecosystem evolve right in front of my eyes. And as you know, was mentioned, I worked uh, with organizations across the globe, not only in Asia and Africa. So I've seen the sector quite closely. And I think one of the initial um, choices that I had to make was an interesting one. So, you know, um, during the time when I was growing up, you know, the civil services was the ultimate thing that any parent wanted their kids to go for. And uh, the deal with my parents was, yes, I will appear for the civil services, but I'll be allowed to make a choice of the sector I choose. So I cleared the civil services and then I decided to go for the social sector space. So I think, you know, I've been very, very passionate about it. And, you know, extremely close. Uh, Sorry. Uh, no. see, here's some echo. Yeah, there was some, some technology glitch. Okay. Yeah, sorry. Sorry to interrupt you. Yes, please go ahead. I kind of find myself very privileged where I could really make that decision of really opting for the social sector and also very early on in my career, uh, my first job was with UNICEF and I decided to give that up and really work for a local NGO. So I've really, uh, you know, made that very conscious choice uh, of being in the sector and I think I'm, I'm so proud of it. Um, in the last 15 years, you know, India's growth story has really been spectacular and the rewards of this growth have been unevenly distributed. It is heartening to see that, you know, amongst the civil society actors, they've really tried to do their utmost uh, to really bridge the disparity and bring about transformational change in people's lives. At an organization level, we've seen the rise of the civil society actors and the growth of numerous collaborative efforts, both amongst domestic players, but also with the international development organizations. I've also seen that the international boundaries seem to be slowly dissipating with more work being done across the globe and you know, experiences from one part of uh, the world going to the other part of the uh, globe, which is really exciting. Uh, it really does enable organizations to bring a variety of perspectives and expertise for the greater good. So we all don't have to keep reinventing. Another steady shift that I've noticed over the last decade is that organizations have become increasingly professional in their approach in management. I think when I joined the sector, it was really about the charisma of the leader that was actually determining everything that the organization was doing. Uh, I'm seeing that in the sector, there's more use of data-driven techniques, much like the private sector, and we are able to demonstrate impact through quantitative and qualitative measurements as opposed to just having a hunch that something has worked. Some of the second effects of this increased professionalization uh, include that you know, leaders have really tried prioritize searching for the root cause of the problem and building programs to address this. I think in the past, a lot of focus needs used to go around addressing symptoms. And it's really great to see how there's more of a systems level thinking in the sector. Uh, second, I've also seen that, you know, we're moving more and more away from just doing successful small pilots towards really looking at scale issues and sustainability issues, along with really keeping an eye for impact. And the third thing that I've seen is leaders have really understood the need to take more risks 
Um, and you know, that's the only way you can be um, successful in this sector because the environment around us is just so vibrant and you can't, you know, one uh, program that works in a certain context may not necessarily work in another context. I think the last point that I really need to, uh, I want to make is, that you know, the people that you're trying to serve, what I'm seeing now more and more, you're keeping those people at the center of everything that you're trying to do. You're not doing things for them. You're not double guessing what are the needs, wants, aspirations, but really seeing how you kind of really work with the people that you're trying to serve and take them along right from the design phase to the evaluation phase. And also, you know, I'm seeing a lot more leaders really promoting the downward accountability. So I've said a lot of good things, but I also want to mention there's still some challenges. And the challenge is really around the whole area of women's leadership. Um, you know, in fact, some... you say that, and I uh, we had chatted earlier as well. And you have always supported women leadership. You've always been passionate about leadership and uh, women leadership. So, um, in fact, I wanted to ask you uh, while you are going to answer this question as well that some of the challenges that you face in your journey and you know how you manage to overcome them, our listeners would definitely love to hear that from you. So I think, you know, it, it's definitely uh, something that I'm still grappling with. There are days when I feel very uh, alone and I feel like, you know, I wish I had more support, uh, but I want to make three points. You know, the first point that I really want to make is that, you know, you really need to make sure that they're more their, their mentors and their coaches like you, Sheetal, that can really help women leaders grow and have their space, safe space to talk about the issues that they're confronted with. I think many a times we are still there to be seen, but not to be heard. We may be on the table, we have a seat there, but you know, it's an outer seat. So I think, you know, we really need to be much more deliberate of really seeing how we're preparing women to be able to be successful so that they can really be able to assert themselves rather than just have tokenistic representation. I also feel that, you know, the policies within institutions need to be one where women can really thrive as opposed to, you know, them really becoming the biggest inhibitors for them to grow. And the last point that I would like to make is we really need to have more men as allies. I think those of us who've really been in this space feel that by just working with women, we will be able to address the issues. But I think men can be our strongest allies and I've, I've experienced that myself. So, and you know, how do we really work with them and help to really address this issue becomes really, really critical. You've articulated it so well. In fact, I'm going to follow up on this point about gender disparity and women leadership. So what do you think are some of the shortcomings of today's leaders in this sector? Um, I think that's, that's, that's um, a big question. Um, I think, you know, um, I think everybody is trying, um, you know, but it's just like, um, you know, we are seeing a lot of women coming into the workforce, but how many of them really are getting to the leadership levels is a big question. And in the development sector, you can see it as well. So how are we being much more intentional of really providing clear career paths to men and women? But I think in the case of women, how do we create more of a level playing field so that they're really able to handle some of the issues that come in their way, you know? 
depending on what stage of life they are in, you know, they have young kids or, you know, they have to take care of their elderly parents. I mean, that could be a situation for a man as well, but, you know, really making sure that you're being much more mindful and, you know, really seeing how you can address these issues so that, you know, women can, can come to the forefront and be able to take on the challenge. I think even in terms of, you know, just kind of, constantly seeing how they are supported and that whole support group uh, and, you know, helping them to really have more confidence in themselves. Because I do feel, you know, I mean, just myself and my own journey, I was the only girl child of my parents, you know, and in fact, the only child and my father's response of dealing with a girl child was, he brought me up like a boy, you know, so he never accepted that I was a girl and I couldn't do quite a few things. So, you know, it's kind of really helping, you know, the people around in organizations to really see how important it is to really make sure that you give women the opportunity that they truly deserve and do everything for them to succeed. Because I think many a times you're kind of helping them to go up the ladder, but then you don't support them. And that becomes really a challenge because, you know, then they're not able to succeed. I hope Sheetal that answers your question. No, I agree with you 100%. In fact, I completely agree with the fact that there are many breaks in the pipeline and uh, the breaks happen very frequently mid-career. So even if you hire and retain a lot of women at the entry level and then you have women at the board level, but then the mid-career breaks definitely need to be taken care of. And I agree 100% about mentors as well. So superb. Thank you so much. Um, I'm going to shift gears. And I'm going to talk about something that you mentioned uh, initially, which is that the divide between the social and the corporate sector is breaking. What are some of the processes and systems that the development sector has taken from the corporate world? It'll be wonderful to hear your views on that. So, you know, for me, I think I've, I've been privileged because I've worked um, at the grassroots level. Uh, I worked with international organizations. I then had the privilege of working with two foundations, the MasterCard Foundation, Rockefeller Foundation. And I think at a foundation level, I see more of an acknowledgement and um, appreciation and embracing the principles that a private sector follows. So I think not having worked with the private sector, I just wanted to say that, you know, I'm going to be talking about what I see what we've adopted from the private sector. I think one of the things that you see, which is really good in the private sector is, you know, accountability, high levels of accountability. You know, they clear goals, they clear targets and the metrics and you have to perform. So I think that's been something that definitely the development sector has kind of, is something we can do better, but you know, is, is something which is really important. And this is also where when you get CSR funds, you see quite a bit of a challenge because the CSR folks are kind of looking at how the private sector operates and, you know, it's easy to see results over there. But I think it's a two-way process. You also have to be educating the CSR folks, like in the development sector, you can not see results immediately. So that instant, you know, like, show me what the outcomes and impact is. It's not gonna happen in six months. You're looking at intergenerational poverty issues, which can take years. So I think there's some work that needs to be done over there. I think the second point, which the private sector really does well is the whole use of data decision-making, right? Where it's not about intuition and a gut feeling, or it's not that I believe in this and I'm gonna go for it. I mean, in the development sector, yes, you know, because you're struggling with resources, you obviously all the time can't really put in all the money 
the donors are not giving you all that money to really have your baselines intact, etc. So it's it's a double-edged sword. So there are many things that you know the private sector can offer to the social sector, but where I struggle is then the private sector should also be putting the money behind it. It's not that the social sector cannot embrace some of these principles that they also care about, but if they have to make these hard choices between you know, expanding a program and getting the baseline right, they'll kind of want to expand the program and serve more clients than kind of worry about the baseline. Does True. that kind of help? Yes, I agree with you. And uh, sorry, did I interrupt you? Uh, I think there was a lag, so uh, no, please go ahead if... Uh... No, no, that's it, Shital. I just wanted okay. to say, uh, so, I mean, I can go on with the private sector, but I think, you know, uh, there's, there's a lot that the development sector can learn and embrace, but I think also the resources then need to be provided either by donors, private sector, CSR, uh, because yeah. it's not that the sector doesn't want to further professionalize and get better at doing things. But, you know, they all constantly have to make the hard choices around resourcing. True, agree with you. And for impact to happen, you definitely need funds. And there's so much that needs to be done. Um, okay, I'm going to talk to you about technology. How has technology impacted your sector in the last few years uh, that you've observed? Because in the corporate sector, it has been a big game changer. And uh, so what is your view on that in the development sector? Yeah, I think um, you're absolutely right. Technology has been a game changer both for the private sector as well as for the development sector. I can talk about my own experience. So, for example, at the Rockefeller Foundation, we're really trying to see how we can end energy poverty. And that is not an end in itself. We're using ending energy poverty to drive economic development. So at the end of the day, we feel people can only move up the ladder. They have access to reliable energy. Now, for this work and for the kind of business models that we were trying to really put in place, technology has been such an enabler. So, you know, whether it's looking at how do you have smart meters, you know, that was something which, you know, was a real bottleneck. For, so, you know, technology really helped us to kind of really look at how smart metering can happen. We also were kind of setting up these mini grids, which are 30 kilowatt plants, and we actually worked with the um, Institute of Transformative Technologies that really helped us to come out with a mini grid in a box. So, you know, we were then able to kind of deploy um, these assets into different, into remote villages very quickly and get energy access within a matter of four weeks. So, you know, if the technology advancement wouldn't happen, then we would have got the traditional route of really finding the land and really trying to set up all the solar panels, etc. Whereas now with this mobile mini grid in a box, you could do many more things. Right now, we're also trying to see how uh, innovations around uh, lithium-ion batteries could really be effective in addressing the battery storage issue. So I think, you know, in the work that we are doing in energy, also the work that we've been doing around the health space, we're constantly looking at how technology is becoming such an important enabler in just about making sure that we can achieve the kind of results that we're looking for in much more creative ways that we've done in the past. And most importantly, we can save um, resources immensely. So I think technology is playing an important role and we really need to be ahead of it rather than behind it. Super, wonderfully put. In fact, um, I'm going to move, uh, change gears to, uh, you know, developing potential leaders. 
Now, the Rockefeller Foundation works very proactively to develop potential leaders in the segment. So can you share with our listeners some of the best domestic or international programs um, that you would recommend? Because many of them would like to upgrade their skills or upgrade their knowledge. So what does your what does what do you as an organization or as a leader recommend? That's a hard question. So, you know, for me to kind of call out a program is going to be difficult. Um, I think, uh, you know, I can tell you some of the things that I look up for if I have to recommend a professional program or when I'm looking at something for myself. So I'm trying to, you know, the first thing is what is the kind of competency that I want to work on? You know, that really is the starting point. And then for me also, how what kind of an experience am I going to get? Is it really experiential? Because that's what I'm looking for. I mean, I'm not a person and I think a lot of the audience also, if it's just going to be theory, that's not going to be helpful. We want to have more of the real-time examples and really be able to kind of put ourselves into that context. I think the other thing that I really look out for is also, am I going to get an opportunity to really reflect with unusual actors? Because you know, if I'm going to go into a program where I know everybody, it's the same set of people, I just feel like the learning then becomes limited. So I'm, I'm constantly looking for other unusual actors in the room who are going to be joining this program. And hence, you know, they're going to come with a different perspective because I, I generally feel like when you have opposing views, there's a lot of rich learning that comes out rather than, you know, just getting all the like-minded people together. So I think those are just some pointers for me. Also, you know, what has helped me as I went through this Harvard Leadership Program, it was intense. But I think it was really good because, you know, there was a lot of reading that one had to do. So there was a lot of knowledge which was being shared with you. Then there was a lot of analysis that you had to do. And you also had to then take a point of view. So I guess, you know, just the rigor in which that had been organized was very helpful. And, you know, your my brain was active for 16 hours. So it was, I think for many of us, we don't have the luxury of going through a professional course and not managing our day job. So invariably, we have to manage the day job as well as do the training. And I would strongly say, if we are investing in this kind of a program, let's try and really say, you know, we're really going to immerse ourselves and go deep and really use that opportunity fully. And I think, again, that's a luxury for the development sector because your employers don't give you that choice, right? So cool. I think um, that's, that's something. And coming back to the Rockefeller Foundation, I think for us, you know, we really do believe in having a strong performance measurement system in place where, you know, people are clear around the goals that, you know, they have to be driving towards, um, constantly looking at ways and means in which people feel their challenges that they are facing and meeting their goals and how do you have regular cadence of feedback mechanisms where they can actually be talking about what are the barriers that they're facing along with that having clarity around a career progression path and really seeing you know what is the kind of professional development which is needed for people to kind of get to the next level so i think the more you can be deliberate as an organization around these things but again, Sheetal, I completely have been in the development sector and I, again, understand that a lot of what I'm saying, you know, becomes a luxury many a time for a lot of yeah. actors. So I think, you know, how do we make the most out of the scarce resources and really try to get the best for our staff is important. That's so important. Right. Also identifying the skill sets and, you know, um, today, of course, there's a lot available even online. 
at uh, you know so one could uh, even access that and a lot of information so thank you so much about sharing now i'm going to talk to you about social media a lot of leaders today um, you know some of them have a strong social media presence and some of them uh, you know really don't endorse a strong online presence of course you have a very strong linkedin presence and several followers so what is uh, any practices you follow or your thoughts on you know a strong online presence i think shitav in today's world it's important to for people to know who you are and you know what you're doing where you're coming from and i think communicating that honestly is becomes important i think the time when i got into the sector there's nothing like social media etc i'm still learning but i do feel that you know we as leaders have a responsibility of kind of sharing what we are thinking what we believe and what we are doing what we are seeing around us but authenticity becomes very very critical in everything that we are trying to do i i would just plead to everybody please don't fake anything you know you you really need to be sincere in terms of what you're communicating your beliefs your values because people see through you right um sure. you know so i think authenticity in what you're communicating is absolutely critical um i i am i do yeah i'm much more rigorous about linkedin but on twitter i am not i i haven't been so active as i'd like to be but i do feel also you know with with the workload that you have it 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 can become challenging and i know at times if, you know with twitter i kind of tend to get so involved into a conversation whereas with linkedin you know you can post something and you can come back to it later i mean the interactive nature of it is a little limited so for somebody like me that doesn't have the kind of time on my hands right. i prefer that as a medium and i must say that you know there are many other uh mediums that are available so i do rely on my team to help me and you know if they feel there's something i need to go for i try and learn but you know this is an area where i'm still kind of trying to develop my expertise and ability i still have a long way to go i'm sure the in the audience we have a lot of youngsters who are much smarter shital than i am and there's so much i can learn from them right okay that's great so now um, you know leadership will change in uh, covid of course has been uh, a big big uh, thing in the last uh, a couple of years and uh, i think leadership will have to change and evolve what do you predict are some of the changes or what have you observed or feel are some of the changes that leader, leaders will have to make in the post covid era So I think uh, you know that's a question that's in front of all of us. I think one of the things we've all learned um, through uh, living through COVID is the only way we can be successful is by collaborating. I think you know the complex issues that we are dealing at hand. There's nobody individually or a organization or a government that can handle it. So I think as leaders, we really need to. And this is where, of course, the private sector operates differently. There's a lot of competitiveness, and collaboration can be a real issue. But in in the social sector space, I think we've demonstrated how we've been able to work collaboratively. We've been able to really unify our work to really be able to serve the communities that we really care about. So I I would see more of that happening. I would also, uh, you know, see that. there will be more of a need of being agile and nimble because you know um covid has taught us you know there's 
I mean, we, we've had to adapt every single time, you know, from the first wave to the second wave. I mean, the context was so different, right? So I think as leaders, being agile, being nimble, being flexible, and really seeing how you're good at communicating internally to begin with, and then of course, externally as well. I think that's, that's an area as well, because especially if you want to be agile and nimble and you're not communicating effectively with your teams, then leaders can, there could be a real um, problem within the organization where you're kind of going with what you think is important, but the rest of the organization is still kind of trying to grapple with where you were, for example, with the first wave. So the approaches, tactics, et cetera, need to be quite different. I guess, again, you know, embracing technology, data science, technology, scientific rigor of how things need to get done will be important. And lastly, what I would say is, I see, Sheetal, that resources are going to be uh, limited. So we'll all have to be much more creative in terms of how we're doing business, can't be business as usual. So, you know, where and how are we going to combine forces and play to each, one, each other's strengths rather than think of creating all the expertise and the competencies within one organization. So having intermediaries play a role vis-a-vis -vis, you know, the grassroots level organizations, vis-a-vis -vis the role of international organizations, et cetera. So I think you know, those are the kind of changes that you know, will be required from the leadership and you know, uh, distributive leadership, entrepreneurial leadership. Those are all going to be important. Leaders will have to take risks and really be um, holding themselves, themselves accountable, both upward and downward. I think the downward piece becomes even more important. That's something that we've seen throughout the COVID situation. I agree with you. In fact, development sector leaders have an advantage because sympathy, empathy, respect for the employee, respect for the environment already existed. It's lessons that you know the corporate sector is learning today um, in a COVID environment. My final question to you is that, you know, we have a lot of young listeners, professionals from NGOs, NPOs, um, you know, venture uh, impact industry, um, who would love to hear from you a couple of tips. So what are your couple of tips that you would like to give to a young professional who is starting his uh, or her career in this sector? Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm still learning. And I, uh, you know, I mean, young people have so much to offer. So A, you know, don't shy away from sharing what you have to say or your, your voice matters. So I think um, just because you don't have the X number of experience, years of experience doesn't really matter. So conviction, commitment, passion around what you want to do is, is critical. And just, just believe in yourselves and, and don't shy away. Um, be assertive in what you have to say. I'm not saying be aggressive, but be assertive. Because I think, you know, if you have a point of view, I see a lot of youngsters shying away because invariably in the sector, there's a lot of charismatic leaders, you know, who've kind of been there for 20, 25 years. You know, that's okay, you know, but you come in with such a fresh perspective. And I think what the sector needs, as I was saying, you know, everything around us is changing, you know. We have to be listening to you. We have to be giving you the opportunity to really um, express yourself. So don't shy away from it. Um, be bold and take risks. Um, creativity is really the need of the hour. Innovation 
I mean, everything that you bring, I mean, there's so much that we have to learn. So I think she thought for me, I don't have any advice to give them, but I just have to encourage them to just go after what they think needs to be done. The fact that you've chosen the sector tells you that, you know, they're very passionate about what needs to be done. And, you know, I think also the way you're seeing the world is important for us who've been around for many years and try and really understand and see how do we kind of get those, those perspectives that you're bringing onto the table. So I think I have more to say to people in my age group than to the younger generation, honestly. So I agree with you completely that uh, speaking up and sharing their viewpoint and uh, uh, sharing their perspective um, is very important because it's, uh, you know, this generation also needs a voice at the table. Uh, so we are going to take questions now. Uh, Michelle from uh, Third Sector Partners had a very interesting question and would like to ask you. So, yes, Michelle, we look forward to hearing from you. Thank you, Sheetal. And uh, Dipali, it's wonderful to hear you speak and share your experiences. Uh, well, in current times, the importance of maintaining a good work-life balance is gaining more importance. And at a leadership level, having a good work-life balance is considered a myth by many. As a leader, how do you ensure you maintain a good work-life balance? Strong question. <laughs> um, I think for me, my job, I mean, I don't make a distinction and that's my problem, right? For me, I'm very passionate about what I do. So I don't see the work as a job. I mean, that's my life. And, you know, my family, my husband, my kids, everybody knows what I'm doing. We talk about our, our dinner table conversations are all about my work, you know, because it's about changing people's lives. And, you know, I mean, we are who we are because of the work that I have the privilege of doing, right? So, you know, I was mentioning to Sheetal earlier on, my daughter was getting married in May. And that's when, you know, the second wave had hit India. So I was at the wedding was in Chicago and I had taken time off. But right through the wedding, I was working because I knew if I could put in those extra hours, I could get resources to give India and COVID collab to, you know, make sure that the oxygen concentrators were reaching and the infrastructure that was falling apart, something could be done. So, you know, for me, the work, um, is, is, is the mission and my life. So, you know, everybody around me and my family understands that, but I do understand that's not the case for a lot of people. Um, and you know, it, it is hard. So I would say like, I'm not a good role model over here. I think for those of you who can learn to say no and set some boundaries, I think that's, that's, the, that's the right way to go. Uh, because otherwise, you know, the, um, especially when I look back, you know, I was fortunate, my kids were growing up, there was support from the grandparents, etc. But many, many women don't have that luxury, right? So you have to really make sure that you take care of all the other responsibilities and give yourself permission to have that healthy work-life balance. So I'm not sure whether I answered your question, but I'm, I'm still trying to kind of work on it. Thank you for your honest answer. And uh, we have another very interesting question from Megha um, from the Catalyst team. So yes, the spotlight on Megha, please. Yes, Megha. Hi, Dipali. Uh, so my question is, so, so what is the status of leadership opportunities for women overseas versus India? And due to pandemic, has the situation worsened across the world? or has it opened new ways to create more opportunities? Very good question. 
So I think the first question is really around what are the opportunities outside India for women, right? Um, I think what I'm seeing more and more is that you want local leadership, right? Every country now, I mean, 30 years ago, there was a whole expat culture where you were coming from the North and you were telling the South what could be done, right? Those days are gone. I mean, in India, you have so much of talent. You don't need somebody coming from anywhere else in the world to tell you what needs to, how development needs to be done, right? So I think, you know, having worked in Africa also, I'm seeing more of that nationalism, whatever you want to call it, but, you know, people in their own countries know what needs to be done, especially in the sector. And I totally believe in, in it, honestly. I think for international organizations, yes, you know, if you want to really promote learning and really try and create bridges, then there's definitely a role for that kind of expatriate position within the sector. But I think, again, the role needs to be quite different. They shouldn't be designing programs. They should be doing, you know, more of the partnership building, the learning piece, et cetera. So that's, that's the response to the first question. I think in response to the second question, I mean, at this point of time, to be honest, you know, I'm, I'm an optimist, but at the same time, I am concerned, you know. We do have a crisis at hand that you're dealing with, we have another crisis, the climate crisis, right? And I just feel that, you know, our memories are so short-lived, even if you look at from the first wave to the second wave, or even now when I see some of the practices, when I see what's happening in some cities or during some occasions in India, you know, people just lower their guards and they go back to business as usual. I think it is really important for us that it's not going to be business as usual. The world is going to be very different. And how are we kind of going to adapt and be able to um, really do an effective job is going to be important. I think what we've seen is a lack of leadership. There hasn't been global leadership in the pandemic, dealing with the pandemic, you know, dealing with all the other issues that are at hand. So some of us are really trying to kind of work towards building more of these global platforms where because the lack of leadership, it's not that we can't do anything. But, you know, um, it's hard because, you know, for example, for the pandemic, uh, you would have imagined WHO to be at a different place, you know, and some of the other, I don't want to kind of single out any one institution, but I do think, you know, um, th there are challenges, but at the same time with every challenge, there's an opportunity as well. So we need to rise up to this challenge and be able to kind of create more of this collaborative mechanisms where we can strengthen our health infrastructure we can't do it alone as a development sector. We need the private sector. We need the public sector. We need all the think tanks. So the entire ecosystem will have to step up to be able to meet that challenge. Thank you. Wonderfully answered. And um, thank you so much. And uh, we are at the end of the session. I would um, like to thank you, Dipali. It's been a pleasure and an absolute honor to hear your views on so many different aspects of leadership and especially women leadership. So on that note, I would like to thank our listeners for joining us today and the entire team of Go Barefoot, Catalyst and Third Sector Partners. Thank you so much and um, you know, wishing you all the best. Stay safe and uh, thank you once again. Thank you so much, Sheetal. Really appreciate it. Thank you.